You're listening to Amplify Arts Alternate Currents interview series. Alternate Currents opens space for conversation, discussion, and action around national and international issues in the arts that have a profound impact at the local level. This interview series is just one part of the Alternate Currents blog, a dedicated online resource linking readers to topical articles, interviews, and critical writing that shine a spotlight on artist-led policy platforms, cross-sector partnerships, and artist-driven community change. Visit often and join the conversation at amplifyarts.org backslash alternate currents. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. My name is Peter. I'm the program director at Amplify Arts. And today we're going to be talking to Rosela Bosque, who participated in an alternate currents panel discussion um, back in July that dealt with borders and the idea that borders are places where knowledge is produced and circulated and embodied. Um, today we're going to be discussing Rosela's project, The Family Archive of the Colorado River, in a little more detail. Um, and we're really excited and looking forward to this conversation. So, Rosela, would you mind telling listeners a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about the Family Archive of the Colorado River Project? Of course. Um, thank you once again, Peter, for the invitation and for giving space for this topic that I'm, I mean, I'm so passionate about. And I'm also eager to have a feedback from your listeners in, in the other end. But as a quick introduction, uh, my name is Rosela Albosque. I'm a curator and a researcher. Uh, I'm based here in Mexicali, Baja California, where most, most of my projects have actually sprouted from, uh, because also the deep affections I have to this territory, to its history, and to the many events that have been collateral damage in a way in political in uh, also environmental, you know, uh, landscape in this for this topic. Um, I studied as a bachelor. My, it was an art history, and I'm now working on my master project in Zurich University of the Arts, which also actually is deeply uh, related to the family archive. And the family archive of the Colorado River began in mid-pandemic time, actually in 2020. And it was due to the political and also personal concerns of us uh, cultural agents working in this land. And we found it completely urgent and necessary to give, you know, to give word to water scarcity, to the precarity of the water infrastructure in Mexicali, and also um, to talk and, you know, the big, big, bold topic, which is like the historical claim and dominance of of control over the river and also the effective disengagement that has been unfolding through generations um, and to also give space for non-instrumental experiences. The project, it began in that time and it really, um, it took different formats. At the end, it's been a really organic uh, project. It's a long term also, which is something that we're not like in a rush to finish off all of the topics because at the end, to unveil um, water problems and water histories, it really gets more and more complex. And that's why we've been trying to just like uh, trace our research in depending of the territory that we're focused on. Um, and to, bit, to give a bit of a context, um, the Colorado River that I'm talking about is the Delta region, which is the end of the Colorado River and here the upper California, lower California. Um, and it really is a huge, huge body of water that really 
um, divides into different little arms, as I like to illustrate it. And I'll be talking about some of the names of these, like these lakes, um, wetlands, even some of the, you know, the agricultural value that was given in the commodification of the river in the last century, mostly because of the agro industry, because of the um, the big, big corporates that were settled here in the beginning of the 20th century here in Mexicali, giving a bit of an, uh, you know, citing some of the names, the Colorado River lands, uh, the Imperial Valley in the in the in the case of U.S. and the Mexicali Valley as well, which is also one of the biggest, um, well, we could say the biggest big problem maker in a way because of the of the system that is taken still um in the in the agricultural area which is by floodings and it's not by piping and i will also like to just like be really um to summarize a bit but the Colorado river has gone through dispossession through the also exploitation extractivism it's been a river that has been constantly pumped uh, contaminated, dried up. In the case of Laguna Macuata, Laguna Salada, and and it's been it's really it's a history that really divides into ancestral communities. The colonizers also, on the other hand, the explorers that came here and gave their own gaze of this landscape, and of course, dominated in a way, named them. And it's something that really comes from. It really com- becomes read from different uh, perspectives now, like in the naming of some of the lakes and now really has um how can i say it it really it gave an image to us and i will later talk about some of the examples the more punctual ones like uh the upper gulf the gulf of california uh previously named mar cortez the cortez sea the sea of cortez actually and also laguna macuata which is now called laguna salada of course and in the other hand, with uh, Salton Sea, which is also a really big example for us. And it really does have a relationship with our research, obviously. This is also the part that is uh, a bit different to other archives, that it it has this trans-border trans, um, relationship, obviously, because the histories really do have an intimate relationship between the U.S. and Mexico. At the end, it's something that has always come around. Um, but yes, uh, basically, it's a, it's a community archive. It, in difference to other, well, I mean, in the U.S., lots of archives have been building through communities, which is also something that really also gave us a sort of an inspiration in a way, and also in Mexico has been coming around. But we wanted to be a more open-ended, um, more um organic kind of archive that really counted positions histories of colonizers of the non-instrumental spiritual family anecdotes and trying to to generate those kind of contrasts between both of the narratives and being a bit uh, more um, open in that way um in you know trying to in contrast with the library or something that has documents and it's a bit more arbitrary in that way. We were trying to position and to think of uh, our research mythology as more um, more of articulation, of flux, of, you know, a bit of a more unstable kind of uh, operation in a way. Yeah, that's interesting. The way that you are approaching archiving, I feel like is 
uh, sort of pushes against the conventional definitions of an archive and how an archive is meant to function um, in the sense that you're also seeking to kind of position indigenous people's narratives as central to the history rather than counter narratives as they're so often seen in Western academic and environmental discourses. Can you talk a little bit more about um, that aspect of the project? Yes, because I mean, at the end, um, ancestral communities are deeply related with the water histories in a way. They have a way longer relationship that I, myself, and CD people have actually created, you know, because at the end, it's completely guided through the domestic. And that's the kind of histories we're, we're actually a bit more infatuated with. And also something that I forgot to mention, but the archive also thinks of uh, having a constant thought about the water in the beginning and, and where it actually ends, you know, like where does it come from and where does it actually end up in? And the indigenous community of Kukapa, for example, they're there in the Delta region, which is the community we have a bit more of a contact with. But it's always, I mean, it's complicated and it's sensible in a way to, you know, address um, issues from our voice but at the end it's something that should come from their voice but it's something you know it's that kind of also neocolonialism that we're also quite um quite I mean we are critical about it in a way because we are here talking about this of an you know of the history that actually belongs to them that, but that's the thing we're trying to also give word visibility and socialize the topic in a bigger scale no and um and also to actually learn a lot from the Kukapa in this really spiritual relationship they have with the river. And as they call the river, Father River, you know, they have like this paternal also kind of link that, of course, at the end, it's something that should stay there. And we are not trying to, you know, overexploit it or, have, you know, it's it's a bit of a, um, it's complicated in terms of the power relations at the end because of the social, socioeconomic disadvantages that the population has over us in a way. But, um, but it's something that, yes, exactly, as you said, it. Uh, instead of thinking as counter narratives, it's really like one of the bigger banes and threats between that runs through the history of the water and especially speaking of the Delta region. And, um, and I mean, it's something that really, it talks about being conscious about it, con uh, power relations, and and of course, thinking of the legacies of colonialism, which I think is something that really unfolds in this. Um, but, but yes, I mean, we've been studying their archives, reading about the travelers that came with the Kukapa since the 16th century. And it's always funny to have this common, you know, relations between... Um, uh, you know, the gaze of the foreigner and how they studied, you know, and that's the thing. We really want to abstract ourselves from thinking of that, of an anthropological point of view, where they're an object of, hit, of you know, like a subject for studying, rather than actually us being there and listeners of their big, you know, like the huge anecdotes they have that are so dense. And really, and I mean, at least in conscious with what I could actually, you know, sum up to the conversation because my relationship speaking from a very poor, personal point of view is was highly I mean it's really limited in a way and it's mostly because most of the intra-urban bodies of water are now completely vaulted piped contaminated dried up and my relationship was 
merely with domestic water and you know like the recreational part of water which is like what most of us can actually share in a way but it's most of the act of listening with the kukapa and learning about their spirituality which is something that we also are really interested to you know to actually overlap in all of the layers that the project has thinking of water as this phenomenon the phenomenology of, of water and and thinking and having this constant um constant thought on spirituality and you know the more than human aspect in water i love that phrasing the more than human aspect of water i feel like that kind of leads into a question a larger question about the sort of ecological collapse that the colorado river basin is facing at this point um, and how you reframe um, your research around understanding processes of, of colonization and its, its you know, long-lasting effects on the relationships between um, human beings, more than human beings, and, and ecosystems. Do you feel as though in your research you've seen a different sort of understanding around uh, uh, that relationship piece and reciprocity and care when it comes to being in relationship to the water as the ecosystem changes? I mean, that's actually something that we were trying to cultivate in our publics in a way, because the Colorado River, the family archive of the Colorado River also has this really, I mean, this important objective in the educational part, because it's also having this reconciliation between community and, and water and thinking of how, in which state they're now. And also it's something that really comes with a political action that we also want to sprout in our public and the people that actually go to our to attend our workshops, our lectures, and really nurture these conversations. Because at the end, as I said before, the the, um, the project really, um, it really activates through the conversations we have with different agents. And this also comes into question biologists, geologists, um, and their own opinions, you know, the hard and also soft facts between um, what is actually the state of the of the bodies of water, and especially speaking in the Delta region. But it's really something that we were, I mean, it's always, I mean, it's really complicated to actually, you know, talk only in terms of the ecological collapse, which is also like, of course, a fact that we're all facing in a way. Everyone in their with their own body of water have this really, dramatic story right now going around but we also like to think of hope as um in water utopia as uh, as you mentioned before in the text um water utopias as a possible solution as well and speculation which is also a really important aspect in in the project also thinking as ecological fragility as means for fictions and thinking of alternate pasts and alternate futures um then rather than just like being completely, I don't know, like constantly reminding the, I don't know, like the complete decay in a way uh, of these bodies. So uh, the project really does, um, is conscious about decolonizing, the decolonizing also, decolonizing and also being conscious of neocolonialism when we bring publics also that are like completely, you know, a bit, um, 
completely related with city and with the city of Mexicali, but not the peripheral, you know, the the other narratives, the ones that we haven't been told of, the stories that have been, you know, thought as deep histories. And um, it's been quite a interesting, you know, an interesting experience to see people coming coming to the project and having this this always open um, idea of, you know, what I've also read about this ecological crisis that we're all facing here. And I also feel this nece- this um, necessity to engage in your own conversations, even though it's a water project and it's artistic, but we also have a, a point of view to share. So that's what's something that we are constantly, um, completely, um, you know, happy and overwhelmed by all of the participation from people. And we're also a bit of a, you know, something to to leave also to your listeners on AEC is to send also, if you have any anecdotes, photography, archive, speculations of the family, of the uh, archive of the, uh, the family archive of the Colorado River, we're open. It's something, it's an open call that will never end. And we're always uh, excited to read uh, new histories and that are also like a bit collateral to what we're always reading in a way in documents and his and, you know, like articles, papers, things are way, way more structured. But we also like to think of the more unstableness that brings in other counter narratives in a way, or at least to counter position. And we're always I mean, at the end, it's something that we also like to appeal on constantly. Like we'd rather have this spiritual, non-instrumental inputs than, you know, like the hard, soft data, which is also something that we want to explore, but through a really artistic lens, um, sensible lens, uh, you know, because sometimes it could be just like a bit more, um, a bit more close-ended because I mean, scientific research is a bit more complex and we're also learning, you know, unlearning and relearning new things about science, which is also something that has nurtured us uh, as cultural practitioners, curators, artists, uh, architects, et cetera. It really seems like this sort of iterative process you've adopted an iterative kind of research methodology you've adopted in building an archive leaves so much space for, like you said, speculation and this open-endedness that feels very expansive. Um, I, can you talk a little bit more about what uh, a water utopia in the Colorado River Basin looks like for you in this process of kind of visioning and world building through the archive? I will give an example. Um, I mean, we've had several workshops and maybe I wasn't like completely clear about it, but we've had different activations and performances before. Um, we've had two workshops, really interesting. One that delved into uh, invoking uh, water in Laguna Macuata. And we did that with Abril Hernandez, as I mentioned uh, in Alternate Currents, that she uh, that she came here to Mexicali, did a really small residency. And we did a workshop which was open to all, any people, I mean, any artist, cultural agent, uh, you know, the community in general that wanted to engage in a workshop that really worked on the micro histories, on family archive, anecdote, you know, the lines that we're always constantly working on with the family archive. And Abril was the one who actually, you know, did the whole mediation of the project and talked from her own, you know, artistic uh, process. 
And we had several artists. At the end, we were 12 working, which was also quite exciting to have such a, you know, a big crowd because at the end, it's like, it's a huge, always, it's an ambition to expect big public in Mexicali because cultural consumption is a bit, um, you know, it's a bit diminished in contrast to other cities in Mexico. So 12 people, 12 artists were working in the project and it was three sessions, two in Planta Libre and one exploration in Laguna Macuata, Salada. And an artist really um, encapsulated and embodied this idea of water utopia. And this is why I get the whole context. He, he did a photo series. Uh, his name is Hugo Ferme, and he's a photographer, but also a really conceptual photographer here based in Mexicali. That also comes from a really young genera- generation. And he also felt this, um, you know, this limit, as I said before, like, I didn't have this huge history of me bathing in the Mar of Cortez, of going to the wetlands, of being in the agricultural canals. I mean, that was not part of my history. And I mean, it's just like something that comes organically. And for him, it was the same. So he did a piece of him, like, washing his face constantly in his house. And it was like a series of photographies and saying that for him, bathing was a spiritual experience and that's how he had a connection with water in a really safe space called this home and and exactly something that he could just activate in any moment so it's a series of uh, pictures uh, photographies of him washing his face constantly and he also recently did a piece on like simulating water I mean rain so he was in his patio, he put a big towel, you know, on the roof. And what he did was just like lay there and little drops of water would fall. And he was just like, uh, this is a way for me to, you know, create small experience, micro experiences with uh, the environment, with water and also political statement. Because, again, Mexicali doesn't have rains a lot through the, throughout the year. And it's up ecological problem that has been talked about recently I mean constantly that rains really come in a really limited way so he said like his piece was actually saying like I can produce this kind of experience for myself in a really precarious manner but at the end it's an amazing exercise so we think that I think that for me that's what our utopia in a way and not like in a sad way of saying like maybe we, we will only produce rain in our houses but in a way of embracing and having this care uh, and sensibility around the topic from a very subjective point of view. And he also works in a collective, which also questions constantly like poetry and water. And it's something that really gets more and more dense. And for me, that's, and that is like a little small seed that was, that was, you know, that it was um, produced in the workshop so that for us was like a huge thing for us, like seeing how our artists completely developed the project and a and a reflection on the topic of the water, you know, the water scarcity, but giving a very radically sensible or rad- radically soft approach to it, rather than this like dramatic, big bold letter saying like catastrophe is coming to us and post-human is the answer, which in a way, of course, are really interesting intakes. And that's something that we are also constantly, you know, consuming. But it was it's it was really beautiful. So it's also thinking of how to embrace and to, you know, a bit like take in the crisis, making 
making our own in a collective way. And as Donna Haraway says, like staying with the trouble at the end, it's like thinking in this kind of tentacular th- uh, manner in terms of uh, environmental fragility. And, you know, and this idea of making with, making kin, and those are the ideas that we're also constantly trying to to nurture our projects and our workshops and, you know, whatever uh, project that we are working on. So, so yeah, I hope that I answered your question. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really beautiful response. I feel like those kind of frameworks of softness and radical care and hospitality um, sort of run uh, directly counter to, you know, geoengineering and desalinization and cloud seeding and all of these things that we read about. Would you mind talking about what's next for the uh, uh, for the Family Archive of the Colorado River Project? Well, last, no, this year actually, we we got a grant uh, by the Patronato de Arte Contemporáneo, which is like a, an institution really involved in supporting projects in curatorial, artistic uh, manners, also educational. And it's a Mexican, it's a Mexican grant that comes from Mexico City. So we applied this year and we are developing a project called Invocaciones al Agua Entre los Cerros, the invocations of the water between the hills. And also making a bit of the, you know, addressing the history of Laguna Salada, as I said before, and Laguna Salada, which is now the name that we see in maps in cartography nowadays, but it's it really comes from, um, I mean, it's it was previously known as Laguna Macuata, which means the water between the hills. Yawimac, probably that comes from uh, appropriation from the Cucapa, which means this. And it would have been great. I mean, maybe later in the in the resources that you will share in the in the post from the talk. There's a there's a really nice picture from the 60s or 50s, I can't remember, but it's around those decades from an American explorer, also a colonial gaze, that came here and took a picture of the of the Sierra Cucapa, Sierra de Juarez, Sierra Las Pintas, El Mayor, and you can see between the hills, the water, um, a bit of reflection from the water in the Laguna Macuata. So the, the project is really about, um, to emphasize... Um, a bit the the deep histories in this space in this space this geopolitical space geologically dense um historically dense and that also in a way relates to saltancy for this project maybe we'll not completely delve into saltancy which would be an amazing thing and we're also really excited to create those kind of links with the US uh but Laguna Macuata is actually was a sink just like the saltan sink it was a a big it was it's also the lowest uh point in all of mexico like in terms of altitude it's the lowest of all and what happened is that laguna macuata was intermittently flooded by the colorado in during you know geological historical times um but because of the building of the dams and the construction, this was, of course, conditioned in a way and stopped happening. Happening, And the same happened with the Stalton Sea. I mean, it was a sink that was just like geologically antique, practically the same as this one, previously known as Lake Cahuilla in the case of Stalton Sea. But it's, it hap- it's a bit of the same unfolding of stories. And Laguna Macuata, for this project, we have been working, I mean, like... It, extensively in finding references 
bibliography, articles, any kinds of materials and archive about it, maps, and trying to overlap the naming, the, of course, the ecological changes, the environmental multi-species shift, because it's also something that is constantly said between the community, like Laguna Salada, Laguna Macuata is a dead space, practically, because we only see this erosed um, salt, the dirt that many people say, like, Laguna Salada actually belongs to the Cucapa community and was sold in this also kind of thought that it's land that doesn't work anymore because of the erosion of the salinity and the stratification that has been done on the soil. So in this project, we have been also learning so many different things about it, also returning to the colonial kind of aspect about it. But there was this initiative called the Three Oceans, uh, and it's an initiative that was actually, it started being talked about in the 60s um, between the governor of, Mex of, Mex of Baja California and the U.S. state. And it was an initiative of, you know, having this um, multi-million dollar infrastructure that pumped water from the Gulf of California. Uh, all this salt water, it would fill the Laguna Salada and then it would go to the Salton Sea. So in this way, we could save this man-made mistake that was actually the Salton Sea and to, you know, clean a bit the water from there. But it will, I mean, for what I can assume is that if it enters through here, it must go back to the ocean, like the dirt, you know, the residual waters from Salton Sea and must go back to Laguna Salada and then again to the ocean. So and it's been a really interesting, uh, you know, like experience to read all these projects, these mega projects, and that the three ocean one is actually being talked about once again, because of course the media around South and Sea is something that keeps and keeps, you know, piling up in respiratory diseases and and whatever. So going back to invocaciones, invocaciones will be a series of gestures uh, that will try to as the name says to appeal to the water that has been gone to trace why water hasn't come back. Um, it's not more, it's not a, an artistic research based in mourning. It's more or less related to political action and political stand by the community, by the collectives, by the artists, biologies, and all of the people that have been summing up in the discussion around Laguna Macuata. And it's also related deeply to the naming and how we're constantly denouncing the names of bodies of water. And it happens the same with, for example, Mar Bermejo, which is the and really like um, old name of the Gulf of California. And this was meant because it was a really red kind of ocean. And the Spaniards would say that it was a dirty water. And that's why they didn't like, weren't completely, you know, they were really aseptic about it. And that's just thinking that the name was Mar Bermejo means that there was minerals from the soils, from the mountains that would like water down. And that's a different kind of ecological phenomenon that would really, you know, create a kind of a link for people. Like the water should be red but it's not anymore. And now it's just called the Sea of Cortez and now, you know, the Gulf of California. And, you know, those, those different layers of time and space that we're also uh, trying to constantly make a constant reminder to people. Same happens to Laguna Macuata. 
So um, for this project, we're collaborating with Avril as well, once again, uh, which has been a, she has been a great, great supporter and collaborated with the project. And she will be doing a small residency as well. And we will start right now. We're just finishing off the, um, you know, like the research part. And we're now, as soon as the weather gets a bit more stable in Mexicali, because Laguna Sala is also a very, it's a dangerous area to go with, to go in because of the, you know, you need a proper car, you need proper lighting, because if you get lost and you get stuck in the mud and the sand, it's just like something that we wouldn't actually want to, you know, put in danger people from the project. So once the weather gets a bit better, we're going to start going there and trace, you know, you know, seeing the map and tracing a bit like the, um, a bit of the, um, I don't know, like the, um, I totally forgot the word, like it's spaced out. But we're trying to trace, you know, like an expedition in a way. So like this area means this and, you know, talk to artists and collectives and invite them like this area has this geological, you know, like um, characteristic, this historical deepness. And it's related with the population of the Cucapá and having, you know, like installations or big or mid-sized, more like small mid-sized gestures to be done in that space. So as soon as the weather gets well, we'll start doing that and going to explore a bit more because it's a huge, huge space in a way. And a bit trying to also go back to the naming. Uh, Laguna Salada, maybe more of the list of the listeners also speak Spanish, but Laguna Salada means the salty lake. And it also gives, it normalizes the way or the state in which the water is. And we also want to make a a really interesting uh, input on the minerals of the composition of the space in one of the gestures that we will organize. And this project will take place in April when the weather is actually quite nice here in Mexicali. And it will be all recorded there. And we will also put it in the webpage that will soon launch. We hope so. Um, but yes, so now it's like Invocaciones, Laguna Salada, and yeah, I mean, in our social media, we will be uploading a bit more um, previews on the artists that will be selected, because of course, this will be by invitation with artists that we've, uh, you know, a bit like traced their work in the last two years that the, the, archive, the archive has been running. So, so yeah, it will be a collaborative piece, nothing to, you know, like, uh, a big size monumental thing it's actually about not leaving trace you know just like being a bit more ephemeral and not you know like invading the space um Laguna Salada. all of that sounds really incredible um before the web page launches how can people get in touch follow send you stories anecdotes or experiences they've had with the river and the river delta um for now we are always uh checking our email account which is a archivo familiar del rio colorado at gmail and we are always open to listening to any kind of anecdote as i said before it'd be best if the image is actually you know like uh accompanied by a, a really small paragraph nothing too elaborate of course and either also storytelling, fictions, we're also really eager to listen about the creative and also speculative part of histories and any also um, 
I don't know, even newspaper uh, documents, whatever is something that is, you know, related to their own family experiences with water, we're receiving there. And we now have an Instagram, which we'll also be attending in case of anything. And we you can find all of the information, uh, new open calls, uh, the previews of Invocaciones al Agua Entre los Cerros. And we will also be creating this small, like, um, a bit of a, you know, like a summary of some of the histories, like opening up a bit of chapters. So we'll be also uploading extracts of, of documents that we've been thinking of, uh, images about the uh, of whatever kind of maps and relationships with um, the humans communities from the upper U.S. to the lower U.S. It's something that will be also like a research tool, we hope. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing more about the project and talking with us today. I'm really excited to see how this work continues to unfold. It's um, been so great hearing more about it. Super. Thank you so much. And um, and yeah, I hope to listen to also have new discussions once the project has the new, um, you know, a bit the web page and everything have a bit more robust conversation, you know, in the time being. I Absolutely. Yeah. Synthetic, but yeah, yeah. Maybe a part three down the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm super down. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate this. Thank you, Peter. Take care. Yeah, you too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.